Good morning, everybody. It's uh, so good to see all of you. Thank you for joining us, all of you online as well. If you are here for the first time or if you're watching us for the first time, we have been in a series here called 40 Days of Prayer. And I, I hope it's been a great experience for each and every one of you. We have heard some great stories of how God has impacted the lives of people through this series, through the journaling. And, and so we are, we, what we we're trying to do is collect some of the stories so that we can share it with the entire church. And we'll probably do that in about two weeks. But today we are going to be videotaping your stories. If you'd be interested in sharing your story with us, uh, we ha we've opened up a room. If you just go through that hallway right after the service, down that hallway, the first door on your right, we got a camera set up there, and you're just going to just share a little bit of what God has done, and, and maybe you can come, out, come back there with your small group or with your, your spouse or your friend and just say, man, I, I, here's how God has blessed me, and here, here's what I've learned, and here's how God has answered prayer. And, and then we, if we get a lot, we might not be able to share all of them, but we'd like to share as many as we can, and, and uh, we'll put that on video so that you don't have to come up here and do it, but... I think it's going to be a great, great blessing. So consider, I hope you'll consider sharing your story with us so that it'll bless other people. And then I want to remind you, next weekend, we are going to have a, a very special service because we are going to celebrate our great, great God with an extended time of worship right here at our church. It's going to be absolutely amazing. It will be like attending a worship concert. Everybody, nearly everybody, I, I believe, who is part of our worship team will be here. They're going to be up here to encourage us and, and lead us in worship. And I want to urge you uh, to get here maybe a little bit early so you'll have time to check in your children if you've got kids and so you can get a seat. We might even take some seats out if people want to stand. Um, and so get a parking space. And I promise you, you will leave here so fired up and so pumped up. It's going to be absolutely crazy. That'll be next weekend. And again, I want to let you know that we always have more seats available on a Saturday evening at 5 o'clock than we do on a Sunday morning. Sunday mornings tend to be really t uh, packed out. And so if you want to join us um, on Saturday evening, uh, that would be great. For those of you who watch us online, um, and if you live nearby... Right, And my definition of somebody who lives nearby our church is someone who lives within 40 miles of the church. That's nearby. Because we have people drive here from Santa Clarita, from Chino Hills, from Porter Ranch, every single weekend to come to church. And so if you live nearby, then I want to encourage you to check us out. Join us live for our worship weekend next weekend. Um, I believe that if you attend uh, in person... Uh, there's just no comparison to being here live and watching something on screen. I, I think that if you come here in person, it, it will, it's just will change your life and you'll be hooked and you want to be here every weekend. So please join us live for those of you who are online, especially if you're nearby. And then, and then again, as Pastor Dave mentioned, we've got a 24-hour prayer uh, thing going on this uh, Friday from Friday to 10 a.m. to Saturday at 10 a.m. And you can come anytime during those 24 hours. And uh, we'll be meeting here. If you come during the non-peak hours, which is just literally almost any time except maybe Friday evening from like 6 to 10 or something like that, there'll be a lot of activity here and the front doors will be open. 
But just for security's sake, we want to encourage you to park in the back, and you can enter to the back, through the back, and uh, the doors will be unlocked there. You can come in here. When you come in here, you'll be given a prayer guide. You don't have to pray out loud, but it'll just give you a guide through the hour. We encourage you to stay for at least an hour. And then and if you have to leave, you can leave. If, if you can stay for longer, you can stay longer. You can, come, you can come one hour and then you can five hours later, you can come back again if you want. Bring your family with you. Bring your spouse, significant other with you. Bring your life group with you. Bring the kids with you. And, uh, and I just want you to know that the pastors, there's six of us, we're going to be taking the late shift, or I should call it the early shift, and that'll be from midnight to 6 a.m. So we'll be here during the, those hours. And if you want to join us during those hours, 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, we'll be here and we're going to be praying. And, we're, and we're, we just can't wait to see what God does as a result of prayer. All right? So join us for that. I'm, I'm excited about today's message. Um, and I'm praying that God will speak to each and every uh, one of you in a powerful way. So, uh, so grab your Bibles. Uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 36. Isaiah 36, and we'll be in that. Uh, and I want to show you a remarkable prayer. And I believe that if we can take this to heart and really understand it, it, it will change the way we pray. All right. So um, let me open up our time in a word of prayer. All right. And then we'll get started. Well, Father, thank you so much. Man, there's so many exciting things going on in our church. And we just thank you so much for all that you're doing. Father, thank you for all the ways that you've been answering prayer. Thank you for all those folks who are getting deep into your word and learning and, and, and just enjoying all that you have to say to us. And Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to come. Boy, the worship has been so good this morning, as, as it always is. And I pray, Father, that this morning as we look into your word, that this story out of Isaiah will just impact us in, 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 in such a very profound way. I pray that it would motivate us and inspire us to pray like we have never prayed before because prayer really can make a difference. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me um, to, to teach um, accurately, to teach effectively, God, that so your people would understand it. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would... Uh, would drive home these truths so that we'll be changed people. So thank you, Father. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, his reputation preceded him. He would regularly cut the throats of his enemies, men, women, children, it didn't matter. He'd kill them all. And then he would order his soldiers to collect their bodies, pile them up in the town square for people to look at, as if they were trophies to be exalted over. I mean, just the mention of his name would send chills and shivers down the spines of even the bravest of warriors. No doubt he, he was a brilliant military tactician. He would, with two million soldiers at the ready, he knew how to get what he wanted and he always got what he wanted. And with an unquenchable Lust for power, this self-proclaimed king of the universe, now set his sights on the grand prize, Jerusalem. I want Jerusalem. You know, the account of King Sennacherib's conquest of Jerusalem, God's city, was etched on this six-sided clay tablet called a prism 2,700 years ago. 
the story was etched on this prism. You can see this artifact at the British Museum in London. I'd love to go there just to see this. But this incredible artifact was unearthed around the mid-19th century by a British archaeologist when he came upon the ruins of Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh, Iraq. And yes, that's the same Nineveh that we read about in Jonah. And the palace was once this marvelous edifice, a sight to behold, majestic and grand in any way. This is an artist's rendering. It was fabulous. After all, Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, the greatest kingdom on earth. Therefore, he had all the resources to build this kind of a palace. Not much is left of that palace today. But what's stunning about the, what's stunning about the prism is that it confirms what the Bible says about how the siege of Jerusalem took place by Sennacherib. And here's how it went down. First, he conquered all of the towns and cities and villages around Jerusalem. Hezekiah, who was the king of Jerusalem, Jerusalem's God-fearing king, saw it coming as he watched town after town fall like dominoes, all those surrounding Jerusalem. And the king, Hezekiah, wondered, how can I stop this madness? Maybe I can give him some money. Maybe that will cause him to stop this. And so he ordered his staff, Hezekiah ordered his staff to gather all the silver out of the temple, all of the silver out of the temple treasury. And he commanded them to strip the gold off the temple doors, take the gold. And then he sent this glistening fortune to Sennacherib, hoping that it would compel him to stand down. But he didn't because he wanted more. He wanted it all. And now Jerusalem was completely choked off from the rest of the world. And Sennacherib's ruthless forces completely surrounded the city. And now with the Jews completely cornered, Sennacherib sent the Rabshaku, the Rabshaku, with an ominous message. Rabshaku was the title of the king's, one of the king's high-ranking officers. And here's part of what he said, Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 36. Isaiah 36, starting in verse 13. It says, and then the Rabshaku stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Sennacherib, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? In a nutshell, the Rabshaku told the Jews that they didn't stand a chance. They didn't stand a chance. Their fate was sealed. Their city would be destroyed and they would all die. Their only recourse was to surrender. And when Hezekiah heard the Rabshaku's message, it was more than he could take. 
He tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning, and then he entered the temple. Hezekiah then sent his prime minister, Eliakim, and his aides to the prophet Isaiah to let him know what was going on. And in case you're interested, Eliakim is spelled E-L-I-A-K-I-M. And I know what some of you are thinking. He was not Korean. <laughs> he was a Jew. And here's what he told. What, here's what he and his entourage told Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 37, verse 3, if you flip over to the next chapter. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. In other words, they delivered the message to the prophet Isaiah that Jerusalem was doomed. And the worst part was, that last line, there was no strength to bring them forth, meaning there was no hope. No hope. Sennacherib then sent a second threatening written message to Hezekiah. A second one, the first one from the Rabshaku, the second one, verse 9, is Isaiah 37, verse 9. He sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not, will not be given in the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered this was a shot aimed directly at God. Drink, aimed directly at God. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Don't let God deceive you. And it was a missive designed, and it was a missive designed to undermine Hezekiah's faith. And there's so doubt in his mind about what God can do. And the important lesson here is that whenever you receive a message, whenever you entertain a thought that calls into question God's character, whenever you receive a message or entertain a thought that causes you to doubt God's love, that causes you to doubt God's power, that causes you to doubt and question God's goodness and faithfulness, that gets you to question God's ability to answer prayer, then know that that thought or that message is not from God, but it is directly from the pit of hell. And that's what was going on here. See, the only thing that Hezekiah had going for him was God. And God was all he needed, just as God is all we need. And Sennacherib knew that. And so he thought, if I can get Hezekiah to doubt God, then the victory would be automatic. The victory would be his. And that's what Sennacherib attempted to do. You see, sowing doubt about our faith, about Jesus, about God's word, about God's character, is one of Satan's tools. It's one of his strategies. It was a strategy then, and it's a strategy that he uses today. As I have said to you before, we are under attack today in a way I've never seen. We are under attack, and our children are under attack, and Christianity is under attack, and God's word is under attack. And it's not even subtle anymore. It's no longer subtle. It's now in your face. Last evening at the Grammys, one of the performances by singers Sam Smith and Kim Petras was patently demonic as Smith dressed up as Satan, including the horns. 
And the dancers performed around him a devil-worshipping ritual with flames behind them shooting up to the roar of about 20,000 people at the crypto center here in L.A. I'm not going to even show you a photo of it, which is so disgusting, but here's the headline from, from uh, Variety, which is Hollywood's entertainment magazine. The headline read, Sam Smith, Kim Petras brings Satan cages and whips to Grammys in fiery, unholy performance. And unholy was in quotes because that was the name of the song that they sang. If that wasn't bad enough, moments before they took the stage, CBS, which, was, which broadcast the show, um, tweeted this message to Smith and Petrus. We are ready to worship. We are ready to worship. And it appears that CBS didn't even hide the fact that what they beamed to a national audience of millions of people was a worship concert with the devil as the object of worship. CBS went on to delete the tweet. On a side note, you know, there's an interesting passage in the book of Revelation that tells us that in the last days, people will worship the devil and they will worship the Antichrist. Here's the verse. I'll just put it up here for you. Revelation 13, verse 4. And it says, And they worshiped the dragon. The dragon is a reference to the devil. For he had given his authority to the beast. The beast is a reference to the Antichrist. And they worshiped the beast. So it says that in the last days, people will worship the devil and they will worship the Antichrist. And this verse has always puzzled me. It's always puzzled me because it just seemed implausible. I mean, how could it be that hundreds of millions of people, perhaps even billions of people, will one day worship the devil and the Antichrist? I mean, that's just like, no, that can't possibly happen. But now for the first time, it makes sense that people will do this because they're doing it now. They're starting to do it now. And with each passing year, Satan's popularity only increases while the number of Christ followers decreases and the world descends further and further into darkness and that's why it's so critical that we pray that's why this series is so important because Jesus is the only hope of the world right he is the only hope of the world and that's why we must pray and one of the things we must pray for is we must pray for each other we've got to pray for each other because every one of us is in the crosshairs because the devil doesn't want us to be the light of the world. He doesn't want us to take the, the message of the good news of Jesus to the world. So if he can undermine our testimony, if he can undermine our faith, if he can weaken our love for Jesus, then, then he will have won. And that's why we must pray for each other. And that's why it's so important to gather here as a church every single week. Because we need each other. We need to encourage one another. So what did Hezekiah do? What did he do when he received this second message, this written message from Sennacherib? Well, Isaiah 37, 14 tells us, it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So when he received this message from Sennacherib, Hezekiah went to the temple and laid out the message before the Lord. He literally surrendered it before God. He just gave it to God. He said, God, this is yours. This is, this is a burden too big for me to bear. Lord, I cannot fight this. I cannot do anything about this. I need you, God. I, I give it to you. I surrender to you. What a great reminder this story is that, that we need to lay every problem before the Lord. 
Amen? We need to lay every burden and every care that we have before the Lord. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever struggle is that you're facing, whatever trial it is that you have, you come and you lay it before the Lord. You get a call from the doctor saying, we found something in your test. You just come before the Lord and you just lay it before him. And you, you say, God, it's just too big for me. I need you. And then after Hezekiah spread the letter out before the Lord, he prayed. And here's what he prayed. Turn it. Uh, Isaiah 37, starting in verse 15. And it says, And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, that would be the angels, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord. And what a great prayer. What a great prayer this is. This is one you ought to circle and remember and go back to time and time again. We can learn so much about how to pray by studying this prayer. You know, recently I became a fan of um, 49ers, the 49ers 23-year-old rookie quarterback, Brock Purdy. I've always said that I'm a fan of, of players more than I am of teams. And, I've, and uh, well, in the 2022 NFL draft, Purdy wasn't the first pick, he wasn't the second pick, he wasn't the 10th pick, he wasn't the 50th pick, he was the 262nd pick, the last pick in the NFL draft. Now get this, the NFL came up with a title that they bestow on the player who was picked last in the draft. You know what the title is? It's right here on that shirt. It is Mr. Irrelevant. Whoever gets picked last is given the dubious title, you are Mr. Irrelevant. How would you like to be picked last? I know what it's like to be picked last, right? How would you, I'd rather not be picked than to be picked and chosen and designated as Mr. Irrelevant. So he finally gets picked, 262nd pick. In his rookie season, which he just completed, Purdy showed everyone that he is not irrelevant. After the first and second string quarterbacks were sidelined this season due to injury, Purdy took the helm of his team and led them to seven straight victories and to the NFC Championship, which they lost, unfortunately, two weeks ago, which is why they're not playing in the Super Bowl today. But the reason I love Purdy is because he unashamedly loves Jesus. Here's what he told the media back during the season. He said, every time I play, no matter what happens, I want others to see God through my actions. And every time I step on the field, I want to bring him glory. Even when we lose, I point to God and thank him for the opportunity. Uh, my favorite part of his statement is, I want to bring him glory. I want to bring God glory. And that was the sentiment expressed in Hezekiah's prayer, which we just read. 
If you look at it again, again, 37, Isaiah 37, 15 through 20, this wasn't a woe is me prayer. This wasn't Hezekiah coming before God and wailing, oh Lord, we're all going to die. We're, gonna, we're done for. We're toast. This is adios. Why are you letting this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? This was not that kind of prayer. This wasn't a me-centric prayer. This was a he-centric prayer. First, Hezekiah began by hallowing God's name. Take a look at Isaiah 37, verse 15 again. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. To hallow God's name means to treat God's name as holy, as revered, as sacred. That's what Hezekiah did when he began this prayer by saying in verse 15, you, O God, are enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. In other words, there is no one like you, God. There is no one like you. There is no one more powerful than you. There is no one more majestic than you. There is no one more holy than you. There, you are the miracle worker. You can do anything. You are almighty God. You are powerful. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too hard for you. And Hezekiah's prayer just extolled, just went on, extolled the character of God. It was, the prayer was he-centric. And then when Hezekiah asked God to save them, notice how he phrased it in verse 20 again. He prayed, save us, please, from his hand. And then this is my favorite part of the prayer that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. I love that last part. In other words, save us, O God, not for our sake, but save us for your sake. Save us for your sake. Save us, in other words, not for our benefit, but for your glory. Save us, that you might be honored, that your name might be lifted up, that you might be praised. You see, Hezekiah's prayer was all about God. I mean, when you pray, are your prayers me-centric or are they he-centric? When you ask God to heal you of some kind of sickness or disability, do you pray, oh, Father, heal me that everyone will know that you are God. Move in such a way that everyone will know that because I received a healing, it was because of you and not because of me. When you ask God to move a huge mountain in your life, whether it's overcoming an addiction or whether it's finding a maid or whether it's getting pregnant, whether it's needing help to finish up school or finding a job or overcoming depression or anxiety or restoring a broken message, whatever it is, do you pray, God, move this mountain so that everyone will know that you are God? When you pray he-centric prayers as opposed to me-centric prayers, it always gets God's attention. Always. And that's what happened here. I mean, let me show you how God answered Hezekiah's prayer. And it's actually quite lengthy. So I'll, get, I'll just give you some snippets. And then you can go back and read Isaiah 37 on your own. Just read it this week and see how God answered prayers. But let me just give you a couple things. First, Isaiah 37 verse 21 says, And then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, The, the answer came through Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed. Will you underline that in your Bible? Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word 
that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And we'll come back to that because you have prayed in just a moment. But because you have prayed, this is how the Lord answered. That's what this is saying. With regards to Sennacherib, here's how God answered. Isaiah 37, verse 33. Jump down to verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he shall not come into this city, Jerusalem, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. First thing, God made it clear Sennacherib wasn't going to even lay a finger on Jerusalem. He wouldn't even come into the city. Wouldn't even get close to it because God was going to protect it. Second, verse 36. It says, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 of the camp of the Syrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. The next thing that would happen was that God was going to dispatch an angel of the Lord to wipe out the Assyrian army. And that's exactly what he did. Just annihilated them. Third, verse 37. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, hightailed it out of there, returned home, and lived in his palace in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping the house of Nisroch, his god, and by the way, it has been established that Nisroch was a demon. When he was worshiping this demon, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, came into the temple and they struck him down with a sword. <laughs> this is crazy. Sennacherib's own sons, and I believe God, God was the one that orchestrated all this. Sennacherib's own sons murdered their father. End of story. Exclamation point. Period. That's what God did because Hezekiah prayed. I mean, he didn't mess around, right? God didn't mess around. He prayed and he, he took care of it. You know, this reminds me of another story of a mother who received a call at work from the babysitter informing her that her young daughter was all of a sudden not feeling well and she had a slight fever. So the mother left work and she said, I need to stop and uh, I need to stop and pick up some children's Tylenol. I think that's what it was. I need to pick up some Tylenol for my daughter. And so when she went in the store, got the Tylenol, she went back to the car. She realized she forgot the keys inside the car. And she left the keys inside the car and she says, oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I got to get home. Right? And so, so she called the babysitter and she told her what happened. She says, I don't know how to get inside my car. And the babysitter told her, said, well, you better hurry because your daughter's fever is getting worse. And she said, why don't you go inside the store and see if you can get a hanger and use a hanger to open, unlock the door. And so she said, okay, good idea. So she went back inside the store and said, does anybody have a hanger? Well, somebody had a hanger. So she took out a wire, took, out, took that wire hanger, went back to the parking lot, went to her car. And then she said to herself, I don't even know how to do this. In fact, many of you young people especially, right? Because you're so young, you've never had cars with actual locks where you can actually, you, you have no idea. I mean, if, if you lock your car, how do you open it up, right? Well, we used to use wire hangers. Well, in a moment of desperation, because she didn't know what to do with this hanger, she bowed her head and prayed. And he, she asked God to send help. No more than five minutes later, this old, junky-looking, beat-up car pulled up in the parking lot right next to her, in the space right next to her. And the door opened up, and this big, bearded, tatted-up, biker-looking dude got out of the car. 
And the woman wondered, I wonder if he's my answer to prayer. And the guy could tell right away that she was in some distress. So he said to her, you okay, lady? And she began to tell him, well, my daughter's very sick. And I, and I just stopped here to get some Tylenol. And I came out back to my car. And I realized my keys are inside the car. And I don't know what to do. So I went inside and got a hanger. But then I came out here. But I don't know what to do with a hanger. What am I going to do? I got to get home because her fever is getting worse. And the big burly man said, all right, lady, give me the hanger. And he twisted it and turned it, stuck it in the car, unlocked it. took about a minute. And the lady was so happy. She was overjoyed. She said, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You are such a nice man. And the man replied, lady, I'm not nice. I just got out of prison. They locked me up for car theft. <laughs> the woman, she was so happy. She hugged the man again, tears streaming down her face. And she said, oh, thank you, God. You even sent me a professional. That's what God does when you pray. That's what God does when you pray. He always comes through. A moment ago, I asked you to underline the phrase, because you have prayed in Isaiah 37, verse 21. Because you have prayed. God answers because we pray. God moves mountains because we pray. God heals because we pray. God provides because we pray. I mean, there is story after story in the scriptures about all the things that God did because his, because his people prayed. Because Joshua prayed. This is crazy. The sun stood still. Because Jehoshaphat prayed. The, the Lord delivered Judah out of the hands of the enemy. Because Elijah prayed. A little boy was raised from the dead. Because Elijah prayed again, fire came down from heaven. Because Zechariah prayed, God gave him and his wife Elizabeth a son, even though they were past the age of bearing children. Because Rachel prayed, God gave her a son. Because Elisha prayed that his servant would be able to see all the angels around them. His servant was able to see all the angels around them. That's a crazy story right there. Because Elijah prayed again that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And then when he prayed, because he prayed that it would rain, it rained. Because Paul and Silas prayed that they would, because they were in prison, a great earthquake shook and the prison doors flew right open. And there's so many other stories just like this. Because people prayed, God answered. What about you? What has God done for you because you have prayed? You know, in my lifetime, I've seen so many answers to prayers. I've lost count. I, I wish I actually started. Here's a suggestion, especially for you young people, right? Every time God answers a prayer, no matter how big or small it is, write it down. And by the time you get to my age, you'll have a volume so big, you won't even know what to do with it. Of all the things that God has done to answer your prayers. One big, one big one, and I'll just share this one with you. And I've shared parts of this story with you before, but one big one was just getting into this building. God answered prayer because we got into this building. And because we pray, we got in this building. As you, as you may know, that the church, no church can occupy a building, no matter where it is, unless it has a conditional use permit from the city to operate a church in that facility. Right? If your city doesn't give you a conditional use permit, if it rejects your application for a conditional use permit called the CUP, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how many people go to your church, you're just not going to be able to move into that facility. So one of the first things we did when we found this 
building. And before we signed the lease was we went to the city uh, of Torrance planning department and we asked them if they would be willing to give us a permit, approve a permit for us to operate a church in this building. Now accompanying us to the city was the owner of the building who told him all about his plans for his, his overall vision for this property. And when we told the owner about our church and what we wanted to do here, he took out his calculator and began to crunch some numbers because his main concern was, will you have enough parking for all the people who come here? And after crunching some numbers, he said, you know, I think this is going to work. I think we can do this. In fact, I think that'd be a great location for a church. And we said, wow, we were so excited. We were so, we were so elated, high-fiving each other. And well, not, we didn't want to get too excited in front of him, but we were pretty excited. So he handed us a conditional use permit application. He says, go ahead and fill this out and bring it back to us, and we'll start the process. And just as we were about ready to leave, he said, uh, one, one, one last thing. He says, I just want you to know that in the last week or so, no less than three churches have come to us asking us whether or not we would grant them a conditional use permit to operate a church in this building. Because the owner put out a sign on one night, he was saying 50,000 square feet for lease. So three churches drove by, saw it, and said, oh, let's go ask the city if they'll give us a CUP for the site so we can operate a church here. And he said, so three churches came by in the last week, and every time they came by, we said no. No, we won't approve a conditional use permit application. No, we don't think you should put a church there. No, that's not the right place. And then we came along and they said yes. Amazing. They said yes. And I believe the reason why they told us yes was because we prayed. You see, we had just wrapped up praying for 40 straight days because our church was homeless. We had just finished up praying for 40 straight days that God would give us a home. And God gave us the answer. You know, the, the simple takeaway from this message is this. We've got to pray. Church, we've got to pray. There's, and there's no limit to what God can do when you, when you pray. There's no limit to God can do in, in your life, in the life of somebody else. There's no limit to what God can do in your marriage. There's no limit to what God can do in the lives of your children. There's no limit to what God can do at your workplace or at, in your classroom, at school. Or There's no limit to what God can do even in the world, if we pray. And this, this idea, because people pray, ought to give you the confidence. It ought to give you the confidence to pray because prayer makes a difference. Because you pray, it makes a difference. You know, James uh, was sharing me this, with me this morning a quote by Mark Batterson, and I'll put it up here for you. Mark Batterson is a pastor in, in Washington, D.C. He said, and when you pray to God regularly, irregular things happen on a regular basis. Isn't that good? When you pray to God regularly, irregular things happen on a regular basis. So true. Because you pray, God can do great and mighty things. Let me close with one final thought. Last week, Pastor Greg mentioned that God doesn't always answer prayers in the way that we want. Right? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. But there is a prayer that will literally open the floodgates of heaven for you if you pray this prayer. 
And it will, God will literally open the floodgates of heaven for you immediately, instantaneously. You don't have to wait. The answer is never no if you pray this prayer. And I know that because I prayed this prayer and it has changed my life. If you pray this prayer, God will pour down his incomparable, incomprehensible riches and blessings upon you. I know hundreds of you have prayed this prayer. And it has changed your life as well. You know what the prayer is? It is the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. It's what I call it. It is when you tell God that you believe in him. It is when you tell Jesus that you believe in him. When you pray and you tell God, God, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus was your son. You will receive from God an incomprehensible peace. You will receive his love. You will receive his grace. You will receive a sense of purpose. You will receive hope. He will wash away all of your sins, the worst things, and even the littlest things that you have done to offend him and others. He will wash it all away and he will make you instantaneously, instantaneously a brand new person. You will be born again. You will receive the gift of eternal life so that one day when your heart stops beating, you'll go directly to heaven. And the Holy Spirit of God, can you believe that? The Holy Spirit of God will come and live inside of you when you pray that prayer. Would you simply tell God, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you and he will always be with you to help you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to guide you throughout your entire life. I mean, this prayer of faith will unlock the riches of heaven for you. And, and, and every prayer begins with this prayer. Every prayer starts here. If you don't pray this prayer, then all the other prayers won't matter. This is the first pray, prayer you've got to pray. And it's, it's not only the first prayer you've got to pray, it's, it's the easiest prayer you can ever pray. In fact, you can whittle down this prayer to two words. Two words are simply this. I believe. You can pray this prayer with your eyes open or your eyes closed. God, I believe. I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. It's so simple, yet it's so hard because most people have not prayed this prayer partly because they haven't heard about Jesus and then a lot of people won't pray this prayer simply because they thumb their noses at God. They would rather tell the devil that they believe in him. So have you ever prayed this prayer? If you haven't, pray this prayer. Just tell God, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus was your son, that he died on the cross for my sins, and he was raised from the dead. Tell him that, and he will answer immediately. You may not even feel anything, but he will answer, and his Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. Receive the gift of eternal life and you'll live forever with him one day. It will change your life. Let's close our time in prayer. And I'd like to lead you in that prayer. In fact, I don't even need to lead you in that prayer. Bow your heads and close your eyes no matter where you're at. Even out in the lobby in the faith center, watching at home, online. If you've never told God that you believe in him, 
tell him that right now. In fact, if you want to say it over again, you can say it over again because I've said it over and over and over again all throughout this weekend. God, I believe that you are God. That there's no one like you. You created the heavens and the earth. You created me. And you gave us your son. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins and you raised him from the dead. I believe. Will you tell him that? If you told him that, the answer has already been given. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all the things that can happen because we pray. And the most important prayer of all is the prayer of faith that we would tell you we believe in you. Father, may every person in this room, may every person who listens or watches this message now, this weekend, in the weeks to come, in the months to come, may they believe. And Father, not only that, will you help us not simply to tell you we believe, but help us to live like we believe. Which means when we go from this place, we make every effort to be like you. That when we are done with this service, this will not be the end, but we'll find ways to serve you. We'll find ways to connect with other people so that we can be encouraged in our faith. So God, this is not the, the end, this is the beginning. But we thank you, God, for all that you do because we pray. So Lord, help us to pray like we've never prayed before. Because when we pray, you do great and mighty things. So we love you, Lord. Thank you so much for hearing us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.